Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Fed moves to stem a U.S. banking crisis. All these regulators lived through 2008, and so Silicon Valley Bank is not Lehman Brothers, but it's still pretty big, and they felt that better to be safe than sorry. Plus, record Aramco profits boost the Saudi government's ambitions, and can a submarine deal preserve the West's lead over China? It's Monday, March 13th. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal, and here's the AM edition of What's News. The top headlines and business stories moving your world today. We begin today in the United States, where federal regulators have turned to emergency measures in the hopes of preventing depositors from pulling money from lenders after last week's rapid collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Over the weekend, the Treasury Department, Federal Reserve, and Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation guaranteed all SVB deposits and took control of Signature Bank, marking the third bank failure in the space of a week. There is a lot to get to here, and no better person to help break it all down than journal finance editor Alex Frangos. Okay, Alex, break this down for us. What did federal regulators do over the weekend, and just how significant is this? Basically, the Fed and other regulators wanted to stop this bank run that started last week and hit Silicon Valley Bank, which collapsed on Friday, and it looked over the weekend like there were other dominoes to fall, and Signature Bank seems to be one of them. And the main thing that the Fed and the others are trying to do is reassure you and me and companies that their money that they have sitting in the bank is safe. So they basically said the deposits are going to be guaranteed no matter how much you have in the bank. And then the second thing they did is offered other banks a huge lifeline, which is to take whatever government bonds that are trading below their par value and give them financing for them at par value. It's basically a way to say, look, you have these losses on your balance sheet, but we're going to help you through that until the bonds mature. All right. So really a swift response from regulators. What are they so worried about? Well, Silicon Valley Bank, though many of us hadn't really paid attention much to it before, had grown super fast in the last couple of years and became the 16th largest bank in the U.S. And it was sitting at the heart of Silicon Valley, which is a, you know, a hub of innovation for the economy. And they were the go-to bank for lots of startups and important investors. And there was this fear that if they couldn't get access to their money, that you would get this cascading domino effect through the financial system and through the economy and think the lessons of previous crises was like, don't don't let that happen. Right. And when you hear them designating something as a systemic risk to the financial system, that really tells you everything you need to know, right? Yeah. And all these regulators lived through 2008. And it was always felt that letting Lehman Brothers fail was a mistake because it was so integrated into the financial system and that when it collapsed, it spread so much damage everywhere. And so Silicon Valley Bank is not Lehman Brothers, but still pretty big. And they felt that better to be safe than sorry. And there's more here, Alex, right? Involving a bank we haven't even named yet, First Republic, which said over the weekend that it had received fresh funding from the Fed and from JP Morgan Chase. What is going on with this? 
So First Republic is another kind of mid-sized, pretty big bank, caters to a lot of rich customers. And its share price was going crazy last week. And then there were people trying to take take money out, um, fearing some of the same things as Silicon Valley Bank. But two things happened over the weekend. One is they struck this deal with JP Morgan, who counts First Republic as a big client. And the other thing is this move that the Fed took to say to any bank, look, if you have government bonds and they're sitting on your balance sheet and the value of them has fallen, we will take them at par and give you financing for it. Finally, Alex, this is all really quite major news to be receiving ahead of another trading week. What should we be watching for next? Well, I think everyone's going to be looking at the share prices of these banks, First Republic for one, and people just want to see, did the Fed's move stop the contagion or do they have to do more? We have seen in the UK that authorities there engineered a HSBC to buy the unit of Silicon Valley Bank that exists here. They had a a small operation here and they also didn't want that to collapse because, you know, the UK has a pretty big tech ecosystem of itself and they didn't want those companies to feel the pain. So HSBC is getting this banking unit for one pound, which is just a little bit more than one dollar. We don't know the exact details of the deal, but um, it just, just shows how what's happened over in California is having reverberations around the world. That was Wall Street Journal finance editor Alex Frangos. Alex, thank you. Thanks. In today's other top headlines, President Biden has declared that the U.S. Arctic Ocean is off limits to new oil and gas leasing. That announcement is part of a plan to protect 16 million acres of land and water in Alaska and completes a years-long effort by Democrats to restrict fossil fuel development in the Arctic. However, the administration is also said to be preparing to approve ConocoPhillips's massive Arctic oil drilling project known as Willow, a move opposed by environmentalists. The White House has declined to comment on Willow's expected approval. Saudi Arabia's national oil company, Aramco, has posted a record annual profit of $161 billion. The 46% jump in 2022 profits was boosted by a rise in oil prices. And Journal senior Middle East correspondent Summer Saeed says the haul, which is the largest ever for an energy firm, not only cements Saudi Arabia's dominance as the world's most important oil producer, but will help the kingdom to fuel its wide-ranging ambitions. They've just announced yesterday a creation of a new airline. This airline is supposedly expected to sign very soon a $35 billion order with Boeing. We're also seeing Saudi Arabia pursuing completely different foreign policies, trying to play bigger parts in Egypt, mediating with Turkey. So Saudi Aramco's revenues has been a quite significant tool helping the Saudi government in terms of either the economic transformations or the new foreign policies. And the UK will spend an extra $6 billion on its military, an announcement that British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak made as he boarded a plane to San Diego, California, where he's due to meet with the leaders of Australia and the U.S. today. Sunak told us that the alliance, known as AUKUS, is replenishing its submarine fleet and munition stockpiles in order to bolster support for Ukraine and to deter an increasingly assertive China. As if behavior is increasingly authoritarian at home, assertive abroad, and there's lots of different ways that manifests itself, whether it's activity in South China seas, economic coercion, 
spy balloons. There's lots of examples of it, and I think it's it's absolutely right, therefore, for countries like ours, the UK, the US, and other allies, to be robust in defending both our interests at home, but also defending our values. The Chinese embassy in Washington had no immediate comment. Coming up, we'll have more on the AUKUS alliance and how plans for new nuclear submarines in Australia could bolster the Western military posture in the Asia-Pacific. That's after the break. Hey, what's news, fans? Listen up. Did you know you can listen to episodes of this very show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? That's right. All your favorite What's News episodes can be heard on Amazon Music ad-free. But that's not all. You get access to other fan-favorite shows like The Daily, Up First, and Fox News Rundown ad-free as well. Amazon Music has all you need to stay up to date on all things newsworthy by offering the most ad-free top podcasts, so we know they definitely have something for you. And it's already included in your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or visit amazon.com slash what's news. That's amazon.com slash what's news. It's just that easy. Can the U.S. and its allies Australia and the United Kingdom preserve their military lead over China? That is a question that President Biden and the leaders of Australia and the U.K. hope to answer later today in San Diego, California, where they are set to announce the sale of up to five U.S. submarines to Australia. Wall Street Journal national security correspondent Michael Gordon joins us now to discuss the significance of that announcement. Michael, we'll talk overarching aims of this deal in just a second, but first let's be a bit more technical if we could. Just tell us what exactly we are expecting to learn today. It's a very important transformation of defense for the Western Pacific. What's going to be announced is the U.S., Britain, and Australia are working together so that Australia can get nuclear-powered subs in a reasonable period of time. So what they're talking about here is getting the Australians and nuclear-powered subs by the early 2030s. And in order to do this, the Americans are going to provide the initial inventory of submarines. And so those will be three to five Virginia-class attack submarines. And then after that, there's going to be a brand-new sub build. It's called the SSN AUKUS, at least in their planning. And that's going to be done by the Brits, the Australians, with the Americans providing some of the technology. And that capability is due to come online in the early 2040s. And Michael, is this anything more than just a routine refresh, if you will, of military equipment? Well, the submarines they have now are old and they need to be phased out in the next 10 years or so, 10 or 15 years. Nuclear powered submarines can stay underwater for much longer periods of time. They have far greater range. All of the US attack submarines are nuclear powered. It's the only kind we have. Diesel electric has certain advantages. Iran has that. They can be quieter. But if you're looking for range in a vast expanse of the Western Pacific and you don't need to refuel if you have a nuclear-powered sub, it gives the Australians a significant upgrade. It's really a whole new kind of capability. Now, these are going to be conventionally armed. They're not going to carry nuclear weapons. They're nuclear-powered but conventionally armed. And the other significance, though, is it really cements this Anglo alliance in the Pacific 
between the Australians, the Brits, and the Americans. And submarines are just the first phase. They call it Pillar 1. Then there's going to be Pillar 2, which is going to involve hypersonics and other kind of technology. Michael, I understand Australia has wanted these subs for a while. Why is that? Do they feel threatened by China? Um, They should. China is a growing military power. When Australia took a stand on the origins of COVID and demanded investigations, China retaliated quickly and in terms of trade. China is certainly trying to use its uh, military capability and economic might to be more of a coercive force in that part of the world. So, yes, they do feel threatened. And uh, my understanding is Australia did make the initial outreach. Happened during the Trump administration. Didn't get anywhere. I don't know quite at what level it was done, but it was embraced by... The people in this White House, who were sort of veterans of the ill-fated Obama administration's pivot to Asia, and they saw an opportunity to make it real this time. Michael, you have been reporting recently, based on interviews with a number of current and former U.S. defense officials, that the U.S. is not yet ready for the era of great power conflict. Does this deal help the U.S. and its allies in this AUKUS alliance to meaningfully change that? Yes, if it's carried out successfully, and a lot has to happen for that to occur. I mean, just to, as an aside, for Australia to get these subs, well, the U.S. Navy itself doesn't have enough subs. So the U.S. industrial base has to be expanded. In fact, Australia is going to make a contribution to that. So the U.S. is now producing about 1.5 attack subs a year. So, you know, there's a, a lot of heavy lifting that has to be done in order to to make this a reality. The Pentagon's going through a historic transformation where it's refocusing its missions from the Middle East to what they somewhat euphemistically have called great power competition, which means China and Russia. And that means a lot more than just focusing on a different part of the world. I mean, what happened in the wars in the Middle East is the U.S. had uncontested air superiority. ISIS didn't have an air force. ISIS didn't have air defense. Well, China has lots of air defense. China has a capable air force. China has an enormous number of missiles, which if a war broke out, they could use to fire at air bases in Japan and in Guam and at naval bases and all the installations that we use to project power and just supply a military effort. Well, this is a capability that our adversaries in the Middle East never had. It's a whole new type of threat. So what's happening now is a project that's going to take 5, 10, 15 years and longer. It involves not only building new weapons, but deploying additional forces in that part of the world and coming up with new operational concepts for how to project force because the old ones won't work. That was Wall Street Journal national security correspondent Michael Gordon joining us from Washington, D.C. Michael, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And finally, at the Oscars last night, the genre-bending film Everything Everywhere All at Once won, well, pretty much just that, taking home Best Picture along with six other awards. The film's Michelle Yeoh became the first Asian woman to ever win Best Actress, while Jamie Lee Curtis and Ki-Hui Kwan nabbed the trophies for their supporting roles. And WSJ reporter John Jurgensen says the movie's best picture win signals that a new kind of film has an avenue to Hollywood success. The sweep was notable for several reasons. First, 
This is an extremely weird film. It's this multiverse movie that borrows from superhero films and martial arts flicks and sci-fi action pictures like The Matrix, but it manages to pull all those influences together with a pretty tender family story that I think is what helped win Oscar voters over. But everything everywhere seems to signal something new in Hollywood. It's very fresh, it's very original, and it's an immigrant story at its core. And the style of the film was shaped as much by meme culture and the frenetic pace of social media as much as any kind of Hollywood influences. Whether or not that opens the door for other big stories and other kind of unique stories that aren't sequels and franchise pictures, that remains to be seen. And that's What's News for Monday morning. We'll be back tonight with a new show. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.